John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 524.jb4114, certificate number 35120, George Washington's Teeth. Here he comes. Here comes the general. Ladies and gentlemen. Here comes the general. The moment you've been waiting for. Here comes the general. The pride of Mount Vernon. Here comes the general. George Washington. We are now, what do you think of when you think of George Washington's teeth? I know one of the gotchas here is that 99% of people will say they're made of wood. Right. And I know one little turns out, which is that there's actually no evidence that he had wooden teeth. No wood. But uh, yeah, that's why he never, the father of our country and he didn't have any wood. So called. Oof. Oof. No, no progeny. No progeny. That's true. He had uh, his wife's kids from a, from a previous marriage and that's it, right? Yeah. Mount Vernon was inherited by... Uh, nephews and various others. But that's not related to his lack of wood. Well, we don't know that for sure, but it is not related to a lack of wood in his teeth. In his mouth. Probably. The reason that we, uh, that the legend that he had wooden teeth came about was that um, he liked to drink red wine. And so... Oh, yeah. So, so, so say, say no more. I yeah, get it. Red wine turns teeth to wood. Because he liked to drink red wine, we often think he had wooden teeth. <laughs> That's right. It makes perfect sense. You took logic as well as I did in college. <laughs> you know uh, how rhetoric works. When I see somebody, John Rhetoric? <laughs> when I see somebody drinking red wine, I immediately think, hey, are those wooden teeth? Whatever your teeth are made of, uh, they are stained, presumably, particularly if they are not your own teeth, if they're not, what I mean, living teeth. Uh, if the enamel or whatever they're, whatever constitutes those teeth, and we'll talk about that in a minute. What if you're not using Topol, the smoker's tooth polish? Uh, if you're not using Topol, the smoker's tooth polish, it's another, it's another uh, like chink in your armor. But your teeth will gradually become stained, and particularly if they're made out of uh, or organic material of of any kind, for instance, ivory or or um, or you know walrus penis e- bone, even human teeth. Stain. Stain with stain. And and Madeira wine or port are particularly stainy. And was he drinking wines. a lot of fortified wines? He was. Did he have, he a, was, have a big thing of Thunderbird? Well, that and Vernon? also uh, Old English 800. He was a big fan <laughs> of malt liquor. But he did drink He did drink wine that stained his teeth. And it's funny, George Washington, part of the, I mean, there there's a lot of tragedy in this story. Oh. Uh, can, some, we have, can we have fun now? Some tragedy greater than other as we will see but yeah we can have a good old time laughing at uh you tell me when the, do a, do a, do a different face when the <laughs> when the serious turn is going to come i'll uh, i'll i'll use my my uh, my naval signaling flags here to uh, i'll i'll raise up the flag cuz we don't says, we don't have music cues on this show laughing. you know we don't have the dun dun right. like like it's a behind the music we should right we should get some uh, some yeah. like documentary film serious strings to indicate changes of mood. Just to temp track the show. Yeah. Uh, By the way, speaking of Topol, the smoker's tooth polish. Yes. I learned the other day whatever happened to Pepsodent. Oh, what did happen to Pepsodent? Pepsodent famously would make you wonder where the yellow went. Right. It, it was good at stained teeth, I guess. It was good at stained dentures. Oh, is that what people Pepsodent was a denture cleaner. No, I think it was toothpaste also. Are you thinking oh, of... maybe you're, later. You're thinking of a... Uh, Efferdent? No, wait. Pe- 
so Isn't there effordent or something like that that you put in that makes your denture cup fizz? What is that? Yeah, let's see. Effordent I, is like Alka-Seltzer, but for your dentures. Oh, pap- Pepsodent is a toothpaste. You're absolutely right. It's like a 50th toothpaste. And I always wonder whatever happened to Pepsodent. And here's what happened to Pepsodent. They were very resistant to putting fluoride in it. Oh, really? So long after all the other manufacturers had put out their fluoride toothpastes, which was like, I think, a 50s innovation. Yeah. They just were like, nope, baking soda. We're going to stick with that. That's the horse that brung us here. Well, it seems like a lot of people that don't like fluoride in their drinking water would have would have been very supportive of that. Yeah, it, it turns out there's not enough conspiracy wackos to keep Pepsodent on the shelf. It's Polydent. Oh, Polydent. That was the denture cleaner as... as, as Is that Martha Ray? As pitched by Martha Ray. Yeah. That's right. Polydent, where you take your dentures out and put them in a cleaning solution. Because I've seen so many denture commercials. Do you know why? Mm, why? I, oh, right, because you're on Jeopardy. I love game shows <laughs> so much. So even as a kid, just watching reruns of uh, Name That Tune or something during the day, I would see an endless stream of denture adhesive and, and denture cleaning commercials. Plus, my, my grandma put her had her teeth in a jar. Have you had relatives that would put their teeth in a cup at night? My dad had partial dentures, and... Um, as he got older, you know, his partial dentures became a greater portion of of his teeth, and then his head they metastasized into his brain. Right, and it, um, and so there, as he, uh, in his later years, I'm talking about in his 80s, he, um, you could you could surprise him and find that some of his teeth were out, and he'd have to reach for them and put them in. In, in, in until the mid 20th century. Pulling all your teeth was a strategy, uh, like a health strategy. A lot of people. What's the upside? What's the, make me the case, John, that I should pull out all my teeth today. Well, you know, because I got some time after this. Infections in your teeth in a in a pre fluoride universe jeopardized your health and well being. If you that's my favorite movie universe, by the way. Is the, I love the, I love the PFU pre pre fluoride universe. Who were the superheroes of the pre fluoride universe? Well, they all smell terrible, but, but that's why it's really good in movie form. Really bad breath. Halitosis was was yeah. the kind of Halitosis the king of that man. universe. But in, in a in a in a time when you had a lot of sugar in food and not a lot of fluoride, uh, cavities and infection could could you know low level infection can create just kind of malaise and sickness in the body and teeth in a, in a time when you, you just couldn't prevent tooth decay. Dentists and doctors recommended that you pull your teeth. Like, and, like cutting off a gangrenous toe or yeah, something. Yeah, but not even the unhealthy teeth. That Why? you just pull all your teeth. Why wouldn't you just pull the bad ones? Is it because it's harder to make a partial bridge than a... That and also teeth were, for, for a certain period of time, when denture technology ar- uh, arrived, uh, you know, complete enough that you could have comfortable dentures, uh, there, there have been dentures for a long time, hundreds of years. Well, back to colonial times, evidently, given the topic of our show. That's right. But, uh, but comfortable dentures that you could, you know, that you could use polygrip and wear all day and and eat apples with how comfortable are dentures i don't think that comfortable uh, that's that's the impression i get even today but a denture that's that's built around a kind of uh you know a material that is a a cup for your gums like a like an even cup rather than as we'll see the brass torture apparatus that old dentures were made of where you could really use them as teeth um people of the generation immediately before my mom, I think a lot of her, I mean, her grandparents didn't, had all their teeth pulled. And I mentioned this on Twitter a few weeks ago and heard from a lot of people that they had had all their teeth pulled or had had to, I mean, people that are on Twitter, not, not 90 year olds, but, uh, that this was common enough practice until our lifetimes. So these are just, these are not even boomers? These are like... Yeah, boomers. I feel like by Generation X era, um, fluoride was in all the drinking water and in all the toothpaste. And it it, it, it changed our brains and uh, made us not want to tear out our teeth. But also... It's a government conspiracy. You know, if you had jaw cancer, I mean, there are a lot of reasons that you would end up not having any teeth. 
But I think I've, uh, uh, enough people replied to me saying that they had uh, had a dentist recommend that they have all their teeth pulled and they uh, and they demurred. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, meant that it was still it was still commonplace. But I but in the uh, the Martha Ray era of um, dent uh, like denture treatment products were on regular primetime television commercials. A common commercial aimed aimed at an older audience. Yeah, speaks to the fact that that full dentures were were uh, were fairly commonplace, uh, and that's a result of this. Uh, this strategy, right, or just a just a, a common practice, like ah, your teeth—they're only going to cause you problems. Maybe it'll come back through crystal meth. Maybe we will hmm. get back to a place where a, a you know a whole generation of people decide to take them all out at once. You know, I have a I have a few root canals, and the last time I was at the dentist, uh, there was a an X ray that showed that one of the root canals, which I had done. 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago, um, right at the very end of the root of one of the teeth had not been fully uh, extracted. And there was a tiny, what the dentist identified as a tiny little infection all the way up there that had been there infected. And now covered in whatever weird polymer they put on top of it. And, and the suggestion was that having had this low-level infection somewhere up in my head for all these many years that it had been affecting my overall health, that it's made potentially the result or potentially the source of all my malaise. Potentially it's why I have never been able to maintain a relationship. Do you think it's made your podcasting better or worse? I can't tell. Can maybe, you, maybe it's made your songwriting better, but your podcasting worse. I want you to imagine me if I didn't have a tiny low-level infection okay, in it's, my teeth. Okay, it's just like you, yeah. but the guy did a better job on your root canal 30 years ago. Right, but no difference in my personality? Nothing more, more I'm not more convivial or maybe more punctual? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to imagine that something at the, you know, below your gum line is actually affecting your, your bodily systems, you know, organs away. But I guess that can happen. I right? thought you were going to say it's hard to imagine that I could be any improved. <laughs> right. I, I can't imagine a, a livelier, healthier version of you. So no, I don't want to risk any change at all. Well, George Washington was... Hold on, hold on. Who? George Washington, father of our country. What did I say? No, I, 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 I need you to walk me through. <laughs> you can't just mention somebody and not introduce him. Who's George Washington? George Washington, the father of our country, first president, leader of the revolutionary armies who, uh, who liberated us from the tyrannical control of Great Britain. A mythical figure for Americans because he's not just the military symbol of independence, but also then a symbol of virtue who, who ruled wisely and then returned to his farm. That's right. In a matter, manner then unknown in Europe. Perhaps the greatest thing that Washington accomplished in his, uh, in his lifetime of legendary um, exploits. Of cherry tree chopping or whatnot. Was to, after two terms of president, surrender the presidency and, and refuse to uh, accept a life term, lifelong appointment, even though encouraged by everyone. Literally unanimously being begged to be president forever. And he said, not in, not in my lifetime. He and said, no way. Established a precedent that keeps dictators out of the big chair. And that's, um, if he did nothing else... Well, if he did nothing else, he wouldn't have been the first president. But <laughs> Unless they had some kind of lottery. <laughs> but having done all the things that, that made him the first president, I mean, that's truly um, his most heroic gesture. It's definitely inspiring to me that I can accomplish something just by quitting. Mm. Like, like uh, if somebody asks me to do something and I say, no, 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 I would like to return to my farm and not do that, then I, I can be a, a, a 
George Washington or Cincinnatus level hero. It seems to me that the thing you're asked to do most often is to be on people's pub trivia teams. Is that true? <laughs> How many of those requests do you get in a typical week? Hey, think, Ken. Well, it's gotten worse lately, to, you know, because normally people know I'm not going to show up at their college campus or bar or be on their team. Although people will be like, hey, Ken, if you want to come to O, o. Mulligan's at uh, 830 tonight in, in uh, Annapolis. Right. right. Uh, sort but, of like people want Bill Murray to show up at their wedding and, and make mix drinks. And be fun, but in the time of the the cholera now, I all these trivia nights are going virtual, and so people really do think maybe he will come show sure. up on Zoom. Sure. Well, why don't you do it sometime? Uh, here's the thing: Let's do it I, as a gag. I should prefer not to. <laughs> do you know how good that would have to be to be better than not having yeah. a thing on my list of things to do tonight? I mean, the worst part would be to show up and get schooled by some like craft brewing, swilt wearing. Beardo somewhere. There's almost no outcome. If I show up and I'm really good, you're just a bummer. Nobody likes that. And if I show up and I'm really bad, then no one likes that either. Yeah, no. So I don't know what even what to do. Stay home like George Washington did. Go, uh, go groom your horse. Well, George Washington did not was not bad at taking care of his teeth. He was. Is that true? He really, really. uh, George Washington's teeth were a source of tremendous pain and and agonizing and physical pain for him his entire life. To whom? To him? To whom and to him. And to Martha. Uh, And, uh, well, Martha figures in in a minute. Uh, George Washington lost his first tooth at the age of 24 years old. That's like 10 years after I lost my first tooth. Yeah, well, you got your first tooth knocked out, right? His first tooth fell. Oh out no, I'm from... talking about my my uh, baby tooth. Oh, your baby. Oh, I see. He lost he lost an adult tooth at 24 just from rotting out of his head. Well, yeah, and there's some suggestion that um, at the time, mercury oxide was being used to treat a variety of ailments. It was kind of briefly a miracle drug. Like, and that's, why don't you and huff, that's that's bad. Yeah, huff some mercury and see how it helps your gout. Uh, and so, you know, this, we're, we're talking about the mid 1700s and during this period for treating a variety of ailments, he may have been prescribed mercury oxide, which would, among other many things that mercury can do to a person may, may have started, uh, the process of his teeth falling out. Well, if they keep dismantling the EPA, we're, we're all going to find out what happens. He, uh, that's right. When we all just are drinking a ton of mercury Well, all I'm, the time. I've got mercury popsicles in the freezer. <laughs> I can't wait a, to get to. A nice, cool glass of mercury at the end of the day. <laughs> he, um, he carried around a, a, a whole kit of tooth cleaning, baking soda and brushes and little, uh, little instruments. What a nerd. He was, he was a nerd, but it didn't help. By the time of his inauguration in 1789, he had one tooth left in his head. And well, you know, a lot of people just have bad tooth genes. Yeah, and that's right. And I, and I and like my do- my son has never brushed his teeth once. Ugh. I don't think I've ever seen him brush his teeth. He never gets cavities. That jerk. I hate it. Yeah. Um, there are people like that. I mean, you know, the Jesse Sykes, yeah. local Seattle uh, rock um, um, guy gal <laughs> personal muse of mine uh she has perfect teeth she's you know 50 years old and never but never, she never takes care never of them had a cat. oh i'm sure she takes care of them but you know i took care of my teeth and i mean i kept getting them knocked out in fist fights the dentists always brain. act like it's virtue yeah like oh we can actually measure on a scale of one to a hundred how good a person you are yeah by how long it takes us to scrape this tartar but that's or how many cavities you have. But that's I had not a, true. a dental assistant lecture me not very long ago on like what to do, like how to brush my teeth. I was like, "Lady, I'm 50 years old. Do you know how many times I've been taught to brush my teeth? And you, this 28 year old, is going to explain to me how to brush my teeth?" And I took my little bib off and I threw it on the ground and I got up and I said, "This is outrageous!" <laughs> Stomped out. And, um, wow. never went back. <laughs> <laughs> you should have kept the bib. And now my, t- well, no. And I grabbed two free toothbrushes and a, a bunch of floss. You were in the middle out. of a filling. You're like, this is yeah. outrageous. <laughs> I'm not coming back. None of that actually happened. Uh, although she did lecture me about toothbrushing. But, um, George Washington had dentures made and dentures made 
in the style of the time. He had quite a few, uh, well, he had, there were, there are three dentists that play a role in George Washington's lives. The three, the three dentists of George Washington. And they're thereby by transitive property, the dentists of America. They are America's dentists. Um, Although one of them is French, of Ooh. course, like all Americans, like all American greats, one of them has to be French. Um, we're a melting pot. We are a melting pot, and that's basically made up of Americans and one tablespoon of French. That's Louis. That's how you get Louisiana. <laughs> it doesn't explain the rest of the country. Uh, his first tooth was was pulled by a, uh, a dentist by the name of Doctor Watson. We don't know that much more about him. Well, all the crimes he solved. A different Dr. Watson. Oh. This this predates that Dr. Watson. And perha- perhaps is the namesake of that Dr. Watson. You never know. Um, but his, uh, well, he has two somewhat famous dentists. And one of them, the Frenchman, was a na- was named Dr. Jean-Pierre Le Meilleur. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea how to spell that. And Jean-Pierre, and, and, uh, and the spelling of that name, it's, it's not just you that they cannot spell it because his name appears in ledgers at Mount Vernon, spelled a lot of different ways. It seems like someone had a phone cradled on their shoulder and was like, say it again. <laughs> Le meilleur. How, how do you? And it's, it's L as in Le Mans. L E as in Eclair. M-E-X-R-U-double-Y. That'd be uh, funny if George Washington was a terrible speller. I think everyone was a terrible speller back then because their Fs and their Ss looked the same. <laughs> they were always going to the dentist. But, but, but Le meilleur. Dr. Lemarieux actually was a dentist for the British. And at a certain point in in treating his charge there, Sir Henry Clinton, the kind of leader of the British Army in New York, he got so insulted by the way the British mocked the French in their ancient way. They all, uh, you know, they whacked the top of their head and said, <laughs> I don't fought in your general direction. Uh, he like picked up his dental tools and in the middle of the night crossed enemy lines and went to the Americans and said, I refuse to do the dentistry on so stupid British. Uh, now I'm with you. You got to You got to You've got to, uh, you've got to work on a people's hearts and minds. That's right. And teeth. Good. And as soon as George Washington hears that I am here across the lines with my French tools. So he, he, could, he became George Washington's dentist? George Washington heard about him and sought him out. So his, his, uh, General Washington's dental problems were something that he tried to keep secret because he was embarrassed by them. But also, you know, it, it, um, it was a sign of his, his uh, frailty. And he didn't want that well it's, known. It's like, it's a lack of potency if you're yeah. having Yeah, well, and also you just don't, I mean, you're out there generaling. You don't want anybody thinking that you have a low level infection in the root of one of your front teeth. Do you know what I would, yeah, that's why you didn't tell me that's until right. now. That's right. Do you know what I would use if I was working on George Washington's teeth? Qua. General anesthetic. Oh. Uh, See? It's that's fun. cute. It's fun, isn't it? It is. That's when, nice. When you think about it. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> Ken, you strike me as someone who reads the labels on things you buy. Yes, but it kind of bums me out when they've got like questionable ingredients I've never heard of. Yeah, I'm eight the, syllable words. The same way, I uh, when I'm faced with a choice between multiple products, I always choose the one that has the fewest ingredients and the most ingredients that I recognize. I feel like the more ingredients, the more suspect a thing is. And it's really an argument for not knowing things because the more things you learn about, then you'll be like, oh, I've heard of that, that methyl benzoate. That's not so bad. Sure. Methyl benzoate. It's delicious. So ignorance really, really helps you out. Yeah. But some of us just can't help ourselves. Once you start reading labels um, and start, you know, following what you eat, what you put on yourself, uh, it's not a thing that you can just shake off and decide like, oh, from now on, I'm only eating plastic coated bananas. We've, that's why we've recommended native deodorant on the show before, uh, because it's a deodorant that blocks odor without using aluminum and other kinds of questionable ingredients. You can find in other deodorants and antiperspirants, yeah, parabens, I- sulfates. Antiperspirants always have uh, have freaked me out because it it seems like it's uh, 
I mean, it's not talking your body out of perspirating. You're, you're, you're blocking. You're blocking you're, it. You're, you're stopping your natural process with aluminum and. Once a day. So radio like, radioactive uh, uh, horseradish. I feel like it adds up. And here's what's new from Native. Uh, they've launched plastic-free packaging. That's here, nice. Here. That is nice. I love a company that does that. And they've released new summer seasonals inspired by the American road trip. Have you ever used a deodorant inspired by the great American road trip, John? I cannot say I have. Summer seasonals, so, so you know, not not the smell of your car driving across the country to, from gas station to gas station, but, but all the different herbs. That's exactly right. Truck air freshener <laughs> scented deodorant. All the different herbs that you might encounter in a drive yes, across America. Different regions. To celebrate coastal California, coastal oak and amber. That's nice. To celebrate a road trip through the south, sweet peach and nectar. Oh. Oh, that's really good. Through the southwest, cactus flower and poppy. And through the northeast, apple and honeysuckle. I like, see, I like these smells, these, these kind of fruity smells. I mean, I don't like a, a, a deodorant that smells too much like a chemical. If somebody said, would you like to smell like apple and honeysuckle? I would interrupt them in the middle of the question to say yes. Yeah. What, peaches and peach nectar? Are you kidding me? Absolutely. If I smelled like that, maybe people would forget that my mustache was so funny looking. So celebrate the great American road trip now. I know it's the tail end of summer, but there's not a lot you can do indoors right now. Well, and fall is a wonderful time to, uh, to go on a road trip. Let me tell you. Really? It sounds like you have some very specific reasons to believe that fall is an unusually good time. You're you're not so warm and the leaves are changing and everybody's going back to, you know, playing football or in our case, wearing masks and staying home. Uh, But these are, this is a great time to to get out on the open road. Native is risk-free to try and every product comes with free shipping, 30-day returns and exchanges. Uh, find out why so many people love Native. And we have a special offer for yeah, Omnibus listeners. Here's what you do. You go to nativedeo.com slash Omnibus and use the promo code Omnibus during checkout for 20% off your first order. That's n-a-t-i-v-e-d-e-o.com slash Omnibus. And you're going to get 20% off your first order by using promo code Omnibus. When Washington heard that uh, Dr. Lemieux had crossed over the lines, he, he sought him out and made him his personal dentist and eventually lifelong friend. Oh. Yeah. I've never hung out with a single healthcare One of your professional. No. There was a while, you know, my dad, all of his, all the professional people in his life were his friends, his cardiologist, his dentist, his doctor, his insurance agent. I think that's a problem. It's just the way it used to be. So, you know, small town America. Your gynecologist? Yeah. Your mom's gynecologist. <laughs> You're gonna go get drinks with your mom's <laughs> with your mom's OBGYN. Yeah. Uh, uh, Washington's tooth problems actually figure into an important uh, moment in American history. Washington sent a letter uh, complaining about his uh, his teeth and asking that his tooth equipment, his, uh, his dental equipment be brought to him in the field. And it was included in a packet of different communications sent by via runner and the runner was captured. And uh, this packet of war plans along with Washington's dental, um, needs, needs was captured by, uh, it was taken to Henry Clinton and it was the letter about his teeth that convinced Clinton that the rest of the stuff in the packet was authentic and not a, um, and not a diversion. Like a fake, uh, it wasn't a espionage move. Right. So in the letter or in the packet, there are other letters from Washington saying, you know, we're not going to, um, we're not going to head South to Philadelphia. We're going to, you know, the armies are going to remain here in the vicinity of New York, et cetera, et cetera. And so Clinton did not bother or, or thought it rather unwise to reinforce Cornwallis. And in the meantime, between the time the packet was sent and, and the events of the day, um, Washington had decided to turn his attention to Yorktown. And so when he arrived at Yorktown, Cornwallis was not reinforced by Clinton. Well, that's, and the, that's the turning point of the revolution. It really is. We'd all be speaking English right now if not for Yorktown. <laughs> and if not for George Washington's 
tooth problems. And, and this was not, a, in fact, a ploy. He just happened to change his mind, not knowing the packet had been had been diverted, had right. been intercepted. Right. Huh. Yeah. An interesting little uh, little moment in American history. And the lesson really is: change your mind about stuff. Keep keep them guessing. Keep them guessing. Well, the the, the lesson is: send out a bunch of uh, letters to people that. May, you know, full of falsehoods. Send out a bunch of emails every day and forget what you said. <laughs> yes, of course I'll be on your <laughs> trivia team. Absolutely. Uh, another one of his, um, another, or his, I guess the remaining of the troika of dentists in George Washington's life uh, was a man by the name of John Greenwood, who was, you know, dentist to the stars. And he was in Radiohead. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was a great guitar player. Junk, junk. He was like, I need some teeth. Junk, junk, junk. <laughs> I'm a tooth. <laughs> John Greenwood was responsible for making George Washington's dentures. And we know that George Washington had at least four complete sets of dentures. Not at the same time. Not at the same time. No, he he uh, he he was like the mother in the Aliens movie. He had dentures, and he opened his mouth, and then the <laughs> a, other dentures. A little tiny bit of dentures out, come and out. Another denture. And they give his farewell address. Rawr. Uh And John Greenwood was working with the technology available at the time in manufacturing these dentures, and he was using um, the dentures. When you look at them, are really a contraption. They're made of brass. And they have gold, and there are um, little springs that help. That's what keeps it in? Yeah, that well, that help open it, and oh. there's bolts, and there are Right, because little... if, if it doesn't stick to the gum. Right, it's got to open and close according to some mechanism. And so they're, they're a It'll little. It'll be like having the worst headgear in fourth grade. Yeah, uh, but also one that's like. When it closes, I'm sure it goes clack. Is George Washington a cyborg? Did he's I, the first. He was the first cyborg. He's the first human uh, that's human what, robot relations. That's why we put him on the $1 bill, because <laughs> he's the first cyborg. We need to honor the future. If you look at the... Uh, I think the, 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 the early dentures had uh, hippo teeth. Uh, Wait, why? Uh, bone, uh, animal teeth, as well as ivory carved to be like teeth. They were really a collection of found objects. <laughs> it's a, it's an assemblage, if you will, in right. the mouth. It's a Robert Rauschenberg piece. Um, but also including some human teeth. Mix, just mixed in? Mixed like in. Like from the back, they'll use hippo teeth, but in the front. So duplicating the appearance and shape and utility of a human tooth is not easy to do in taking teeth from other be beasts. Right. Like there aren't any really, you couldn't just put a horse tooth in there. That would be kind of have funky. They, have they thought about monkeys? Uh, there weren't a ton of monkeys in well, colonial America. Well, I hate to break this to you, but there weren't a ton of hippos either. <laughs> <laughs> Pablo Escobar having not yet been invented. But you know, if you take one hippo tooth and work it down, you could probably get four human teeth out of yeah, it. Yeah, maybe they just scrimshawed the whole thing yeah. out of one walrus tusk. Yeah, I think it was a lot more common to find ivory uh, in colonial America. I mean, that's the, that's the whole reason that the island of Nantucket was, uh, was built there by God. And for the limericks. And for the hilarious and for the limericks. limericks. <laughs> <laughs> what are, what are, what are dentures made out of today? I just realized I don't know. Oh. I'm guessing, I'm guessing it was porcelain for a long time. Porcelain and Bakelite and. And then, uh, yeah, today it's probably some synthetic. Yeah, that, right. It's made out of, um. Uh, well, no, it's made out of angel tears, like everything. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, as far as I know. Doesn't the FDA uh, isn't the, regulate isn't, that? I think the internet is made out of angel tears. Uh, at least my interactions with it are. But the the um, the dentures, as you can imagine, were incredibly uncomfortable. But the the procurement of human teeth, there was actually a market for teeth is this like for from cadavers no uh-oh um y there were advertisements placed in newspapers uh including advertisements um placed by dr jean-pierre lamaille uh 
Misconnections. Uh, that's you, right. you standing on the handsome teeth on the me. handsome cab with lovely teeth. Have no teeth. Me, a toothless <laughs> guy looking longingly at your teeth. Pl- uh, please write. The going rate uh, for teeth was two guineas per tooth. Two. So that's over two pounds. So I'm sure that's hundreds of dollars. A lot of money. More? And and I feel like. Um, to be willing to have your front tooth pulled in exchange for more than two pounds uh, speaks to both the value of the tooth and also the relative um, uh, the relative social value of having all your teeth. I guess in a in a world where everybody was losing their teeth, to have a good one and pull it out for money uh, seemed like. Maybe it was a, an option if you were a poor person. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're very desperate and you have a way to get hundreds of dollars, I guess you do it. It's like locks of love, except it won't grow back. Now we can't say for sure. Um, we can't speak about all of George Washington's dentures because only one set has survived to this day. There's a partial. Uh, that's, I think, kept at the American Dental Museum or whatever. But there is a complete set of George Washington's teeth that is at Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon, um, which is owned and operated by the Mount Vernon Ladies Association. I've never been. Have uh, you ever been to see the uh, MVLA's uh, work? No, I've only seen it uh, from my uh, paddle wheel steamer in uh, plying the Potomac. You know, the story of Mount Vernon is interesting. It remained in the Washington family, as I say, owned by various nephews and whatnot until uh, the mid-1800s, and it had fallen into disrepair. George Washington's uh, descendants didn't have the, the money to keep the enormous estate up. And at one point, a Southern belle by the name of Louise Dalton Bird Cunningham, Cunningham, not Cunningham, <laughs> <laughs> Louise Dalton Bird Cunningham was uh, was I'm sure fanning herself on the deck of a of a paddle wheel steamer and saw the disrepair that Mount Vernon had fallen unto. It was not a tourist attraction. At nope, all. nope. Still a private home, and she wrote a letter to a friend uh, decrying its faith and or its fate rather, and also perhaps its faith. Who knows? But she you know wrote to a friend and said, if the men of our country cannot. Um, cannot protect and preserve this this grand home that's that uh, plays such a large role in the founding of our nation. Perhaps we women should take charge of the moment and raise the funds to buy and protect this noble home. So once again, once the men flake out at something, that's right. The Lilith arrives <laughs> in this for, in this case in the form of a South Carolina uh, plantation wife. But she mounts a national campaign, and this is in the era right, leading right up to the Civil War. She is a Lilith. She mounts something. She does. She does. She sends. She kills 100 demon children <laughs> an hour, uh, but she raises the money, and they buy Mount Vernon, the Mount Vernon Ladies Association, buys Mount Vernon from uh, the last Washington. And you said this is during the Civil War? Per, just prior. Oh, okay. So, so if eventually it's going to be... These are going to be like Confederate wives. They all right? they all are right. Although although it was a, na- a national campaign, right? In, in 1858, there were what 30 states in the United States. That seems right, about right. And so uh, it was it was uh, I think presented as a uniting, like in these times of trouble when we cannot agree on whether or not to own a living being, or on the other hand. To not, uh, why can we not all get together and support this plan to 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 buy and restore Mount Vernon? Think of all we have in common, Virginia. We all agree there is a num a correct number, yeah, of human beings to own. Correct. Some say zero. Some say a larger <laughs> number. This is all that divides us. I love how your Southern accent sounds kind of like the Kennedys. <laughs> <laughs> That's as far south as I go. I like it. I don't go further <laughs> south than Hyannisport. <laughs> well, in a, a, anyway, they do buy Mount Vernon, and then the Civil War uh, descends upon the world, and um, Mount Vernon sits kind of decaying through the war. But afterwards, they restore it, 
and spend a lot of money finding all of the Washington effects and figuring out what furniture that's there dates from George Washington's life. And they've become an institution. They just recently spent millions of dollars to buy George Washington's personal copy of the Constitution, and they have his dentures. So it's this organization is now in its 160th year or whatever of yeah. running Mount Vernon. Yeah, oh, Mount great. Vernon Ladies Association. Well, I should go. It's like 20 minutes from D.C. Why have I not yeah. been? It's just right there. Yeah. yeah. And I've never been either. I, but you know what? I've never been to Arlington. And it seems like that's an incredible oversight on my part. It's Ar- just, you know, you can see it from Isn't the Isn't Arlington related? Like, because Ar- mm-hmm. the Custis family that owned... Isn't Martha Washington's family also Robert E. Lee's wife's family? Yes. I think many years later, which means it was that the Custis family that donated the land that became Arlington Cemetery when it used to be, what, Lee's back 40. They are, if not proximate, then, uh, then cousins know, or something. Neighbors, right. Yeah. Uh, but at Mount Vernon, there are also George Washington's ledgers. And in his ledgers, there's one notation uh, that mentions paying some of George Washington's slaves for nine teeth Mm. and sending those nine teeth to Dr. Jean-Pierre Lamarillo. those nine teeth uh, on the open market were worth 19 pounds. Are you saying he did not pay market rate? He paid six pounds. Oh, come on. To the slaves, presumably, for their teeth. There is no direct evidence that the human teeth in George Washington's dentures, which comprise a portion of the teeth, that are also made of some of them ivory and some of them buffalo teeth and usics and zebra ivory. Uh, zebra ivory, but some of them the real human teeth. There's no direct evidence connecting those teeth to the nine teeth that George Washington's the that the cousin who was managing Mount Vernon at the time sold to. Dr. LeMayu. We don't know how many slave teeth were in George Washington's mouth when he gave any particular speech. That's right. But it, the the number might be more than zero. The number is anywhere between zero and nine of his own slave's teeth that he underpaid for to have put into his dentures. <sighs> yeah. Wow. I mean, it's a... Because it's kind of a, a fun patriotic footnote of American history that uh, George Washington had uncomfortable false teeth. Yes. But I guess like so many other fun American history sidebars, it's really only fun if uh, you're willing to ignore some underbelly. Yeah. And, the, you know, George Washington, we, uh, we as a nation now are, are, are uh, in our 150th year of trying to reckon with the terrible legacy of the, the 150 years of, of indentured servitude that preceded it preceded the 150 years of reckoning we've, we've had. Um, George Washington passed the, uh, the slave trade act, which dur- during his tenure as president, which was an attempt to limit the slave trade prior to its abol to, to the British abolishment of it. Uh, but he also passed the fugitive slave act, the original fugitive slave act. And in his own case worked to, um, through throughout his life, even when he was in Philadelphia, which was an abolitionist city, he maintained, you know, he, he worked the loopholes in order to keep his own slaves, uh, in his employ. Like not just, not just at home in Virginia, but like with him on with the road him on the in road. Philadelphia. When he died, he owned 317 human beings personally who alive. And is there any kind of nice asterisk? At least he re- did he there free is. them at his death? Or? He did free them at his death at, to the great consternation of the rest of his family and everyone that he knew because they represented a tremendous portion of his wealth, 317 
But slaves. still, that's the ultimate NIMBY move yeah. to be like, I'm going to, as long as this conveniences me to own human beings, I will do so. Right. The second it no longer benefits me, I will remember my good progressive principles. Yeah, hard. To, I mean, then uh, obviously hard to um, be there. But the gesture of freeing them was a radical move uh, in his day. But, um, but also... Uh, Owning 317 slaves is really not yeah, a thing it's, you can... It's pretty low bar for... Can't sweep it under the, the carpet of history. Well, I mean, the example of the teeth is... It's a very concrete example of kind of this modern academic uh, thinking theory we have about how the, the literal bodies of people of color are not uh, respected... Right by the American establishment in any way. Well, and, and this and this is a super literal manifestation yeah. that, like, to the degree that, like, if our eating is uncomfortable, we'll just chew with their teeth to, for a while. To imagine that his his inaugural speech was spoken through some number of slave teeth is uh, it's something that we have to consider as part of the like the metaphor almost couldn't be it's really something better right a, a real uh, a real there's a there is a perverse poetry to it and especially considering that as his life uh as his life continued his teeth became a source of constant pain injury shame and trauma because they're cursed they're cursed teeth if you look at the gilbert stewart painting of george washington that is on the one dollar bill one of the things about uh, portraits of Washington is that over the course of his life, they really change. Like, and it isn't just a matter of there being different artistic impressions of George Washington. He looks, he looks very different from the shape of his face changes. And it is the sh because he has none of his own teeth. The shape of his dentures is determining the shape of his face. And there are lots of letters that he writes. Um, to Dr. Greenwood, who's kind of making his dentures and um, maintaining them, that uh, that his dentures protrude, to, the, the dentures are too big for his mouth. Uh, sometimes they, um, you know, they're, this, they're like this rat trap. It's funny to imagine a dentist with just a bunch of little trays, like a, like a printer, a print assistant, you know, and pick, trying to pick out the elements of just the right shape to fit in this matrix and to build this thing out of brass <laughs> and like bolts. So the pic, if you look at the picture uh, on the $1 bill, the Gilbert Stewart portrait, you can see that the shape of Washington's mouth and jaw are, um, you can see the dentures. You can see that his, his lower uh, and upper lips are sort of, protruding. It's like Brando in The Godfather. Yeah, there's there, he's got he's got something in his mouth. And every portrait He's got slavery. He's got mouth. slavery he, in his mouth. He ate a little too much slavery as, as well as hippos and, and now it's poking him. Um later and later portraits of Washington, you see him um visibly in pain. And if you look at portraits of him uh in this context, you can see his jaws clenched he seems under distress and it's part of our, it's part of the iconography of the United States. Yeah, he's that, solemn. He, he's solemn. But actually he just has a really bad dental and dental pain is the worst. The worst. It, it really does interfere with your psyche and maybe because it's so close to the head, the organ, the brain, the organ of thought that the, the pain in the pain in the mouth is very intense and lifestyle ruining. Yeah. It's um, again, the metaphor for slavery is still working, but even more, he had Washington had a a, um, a reputation in his own time of being uh, fairly taciturn. Uh, he didn't um, he didn't mince words, and he didn't he was not overly eloquent. Uh, you know, he did he was not a fla flowery in his language. He didn't go long discursive uh, speeches. He he kept um, like throughout his life or. Uh, increasingly, as uh, you know, in the time, in the style of the time, it, when his contemporaries were fond of standing up on the table and giving long uh, speeches on 
the freedom of man and and um, oh, I've met old people before, you know. But but them, you know, these these Revolutionary War deists. I mean, if you think about John Adams and um, and Thomas Jefferson, what their dinner table conversation must have been like. Oh, sit Wa- down, John Washington. Oh, I know the, the roots of the tree of liberty. Go on, sure, sure, sure. Blah blah. blah. Uh, Washington just kind of sat quietly, and um, and there's a lot of evidence to the fact that he was. So embarrassed by his mouth and so in pain that he just kept his teeth closed. And I mean, it's such a perfect metaphor for the shames of of slavery. It should be a it should be a Colson Whitehead novel or it, something. It 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 is astonishing. And what what's interesting about it is that there was a market for teeth, and in this ledger they did bother to pay. The slaves. They're not, they're not, uh, but they weren't probably, they're not villains. Well, of course we're going to pay for the slave teeth we pulled. But interesting to think, and this is again, a thing that where the historical record is silent, or at least it's absent, uh, to imagine what those negotiations were. I I was just trying to picture that. You know, like it, it, are there volunteers? If you were going to employ just straight coercion, there wouldn't be all this game of. I mean, it has to show they weren't exchange. really thinking of them as property the way they pretended to, right? Right. Like I would not think before um, pulling batteries out of my remote control to put in my other remote control to ask your remote control. I would certainly. not put it in a ledger how much I owe my remote control. Like it, it, things like that do kind of show that maybe at the time it's painted as extra unnecessary benevolence, but it really does show that. But to, to, to say treat them as property was. Uh, just a, a charade to say to a group of indentured servants, like, Hey, everyone line up. So let's get a, you know, who wants to volunteer, uh, sell one of your front teeth to the general and we'll pay you not two guineas, not the market rate, not one guinea, some number of shillings. I don't know what, what is one third? What's, what's a half of a shilling? I mean, sorry, what's a half of a guinea? A guinea, I believe, is a pound and a shilling. Right. And back then, a pound was... 16? 16 shillings. Is that what it was? So is it a third of a... Is it like a third of a person, like well, th- for census purposes? Like if you think of if you think of the going rate of for nine teeth being 19 pounds, and Washington paid six pounds, so it's about a third. He's paying a third of the market rate. Well, it's just like how a, a slave life counts for the... As a third of a... A white one to, for census purposes. Well, perhaps that's exactly the 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 that's metric the they were using, right? Um, but, 20, Twenty shillings per pound, actually, in the traditional oh, okay, system. 20s. So, so s- something like we're one hundred and twenty shillings. It's under a third. Yeah. So one hundred and twenty divided by nine. We're talking about um, so nine, ninety-nine is one hundred thirteen shillings. So yeah, right. Whatever the rate. I mean, this is a thing that George Washington tooth scholars uh, have to kind of, um, as we use this as a metaphor, a poetical metaphor for the founding of our nation and the role that slavery played, it's it's not like a binary relationship between freedom and enslavement. It's not a black and white issue. As it were. As it were. Um, there, There is this additional element of um, of this having been a commonplace enough practice and one that there's a recognized rate of exchange that this was a, at least a conversation that had to happen between the enslaved and the slaver. For me, it's the small monstrosities like this that really help me understand slavery a little bit. It really makes it come alive off the page. It does. In a way that you don't get when you say, hey, this many million people were treated by like property for this many centuries. Yeah. If you picture a slave being held down and its teeth extracted by its, by, uh, you know, his teeth extracted by a white master, it somehow is maybe more part of our, our modern conception of it than, you know, than to say like, Gather round, and and uh, who wants to make twenty shillings today? It definitely, uh, if nothing else, it gives new meaning to the phrase "indentured servant." 
And that concludes George Washington's Teeth, entry 524.JV4114, certificate number 35120, in the omnibus. Futurelings, uh, please do not judge us by the enlightened standards of your time as well. Mm. We have no idea what atrocities we are committing without knowing it, but certainly they are all happening on social media. (laughs) (laughs) We are at Omnibus Project on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, probably, all of the above. Uh, We are also, uh, you can read my tweets at Ken Jennings. John is at John Roderick on Twitter and Instagram, and you should certainly subscribe to his OnlyFans. Uh, You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can send us physical items. Please don't send us your, well, maybe send us your grandma's dentures. I don't know. Why do you have them? Hmm. Uh, Oh, send your grandmother's fake teeth that are uh, like at least half gold. Send us all of the gold fillings. Are you going to go to a pod shop with somebody else's grandma's teeth? Do people have two pair of dentures or do people get buried with their dentures? Boy, I don't know the answer. I have not been to enough funeral homes to have that discussion with them. I believe my grandparents were buried with their dentures. I imagine. Well, did they have open casket funerals? And open mouthed. Yeah. They were, their their lips had been pulled back in a terrible rictus so we could admire (laughs) their even dentures. If you are having an open casket funeral, I imagine that you have your dentures in. If you're being cremated, I imagine they leave your dentures out. Oh, yeah, because you don't want them in the urn. But that means that somewhere in the dumpster behind a funeral home is a bucket of dentures. That's unpleasant to think about. That's terrible. The associations are all bad. Yeesh. Uh, Anyway, if you're Oh, sure. Leave that thought. Leave that thought alone. If you're an undertaker (laughs) with a ton of dentures, send them to John Roderick, care of Omnibus Project, Mm -hmm. P.O. Box 55744. Shoreline, Washington, nine eight one five five. You can ha- you can send me some wind up chattering teeth. Uh, those are always fun. Do you think? Well, that's what I was picturing when you said there were springs and, and mechanical bits. It's not far from the truth, except that the clackety, clackety, the clack. no- novelty clacking teeth don't have any slave teeth or hippopotamus bones. In Usually, them. I mean that's what I would use if I couldn't afford dentures. I would just go buy a pair of those novelty teeth, and I just clackety clack them into my mouth because that's what happens in cartoons, right? Yeah, when they it, fall out of your mouth clack, and clack, 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 clack across clack, 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 clack. the table. Uh, you can uh, congregate with other omnibus listeners. Uh, search for the word "futurelings" on Facebook or Reddit or Discord to find those fan communities. Speaking of fans, speaking of supporters, speaking of people who are really willing to put their love of the omnibus project and belief in its ideals on the line, here they are: our Patreon supporters. Let us lift them up and praise them. They deserve. Really, any praise we can offer, because without them, you uh, would not be listening to any of this content right now. Like Hosanna, the, Hosanna, Hosanna. The the generous support shown by Patreon donors is really the only reason Omnibus has continued in our independent era. Mm-hmm. And John and I are deeply grateful that, uh, because we have fun doing the show, that it's actually viable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have been thinking that you might be a supporter, a mm-hmm. potential supporter... Mm-hmm. Look in the mirror. Look at yourself. Think, uh, would I, do I appreciate the Omnibus Project? Do I, uh, can I budgetarily justify supporting the show? If the answer to both of those questions is yes, why not do it? Why not go to patreon.com slash Omnibus Project right now? That's right. And, uh, and support the show. You'll get cool stuff and you'll feel special when we do this little bit in the outro every time. Back uh, back uh, before coronavirus, when we went to the movies, you would sometimes pay $12, $15 to go to the movies one time to see some garbage movie. It's still the same way. Like if all those movies that didn't get released, like if I want to watch Onward on Disney Plus, I think it's 20 bucks. Yeah. If you're sitting and, For and two hours. regularly clicking through Amazon Prime and buying movies hither and thither for nine ninety five, and then you think... I listen to Omnibus twice a week. It's a pretty good deal. Week. It's about an it's about two hours of content a week. Plus, there's the bonus episode you get. So you're getting uh, uh, upwards of maybe around ten hours of content. Ten hours of content. John shows are a Come little on. longer, but they generally have less content. Hmm. I don't know if the futurelings are going to get behind that statement. <laughs> I think the futurelings are going to say, "Thank goodness that John shows are good." And they make up for Ken's bad shows. Ten hours a week of entertainment is uh, pretty good. And if you yeah. if you can afford to uh, 
to toss us a, a few guineas. 20 shillings. Figure out what the going rate is and give us a third of it. And mm-hmm. uh, that's what George Washington would have wanted. Here, here. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Perhaps your civilization survive, out, outlasts ours. Ken and I may be buried in angry emails. Really, for every show we do, every show is going to make someone send us a letter that says, how dare you, sir? But the last two were about feminism and slavery, so we, we pr- we're probably fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Nothing, what, nothing's going to happen about these last two from this week. No, all of our all of our listeners are are our uh, MAGA Second Amendment supporters, so they're just cheering us on. They're like Lilith. I was just talking to my friend about Lilith. She's the worst. Hey, he's got a Lilith sucks tattoo. Uh, we hope and pray that this catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon. This recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. And hopefully that's not true. We'd like to end on a happier note. Yeah, what if we end on the weird slavery show? I don't think I don't think that's what was gonna happen. I think I think we're gonna come back next week and I'm gonna do something about 70s pop culture, and you're gonna do some weird math show that nobody understands. Or likes. And uh, that will be our final word. <laughs> and we hope to be back with you with both those entries soon in the omnibus.